1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Now that we're in the New Testament, everybody gets there a little quicker. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's pray. Lord, we need you to anoint the preaching of your word today, Lord. Uh, We don't need to hear the words of Dan, of man. Lord, we need to receive from you your precious words. And so I pray for your anointing, God, to be led by the Spirit as I preach this word. And God, I ask for the hearts of the people that hear that you would prepare them now to receive your word and that uh, there would be great fruit bore for your glory and for our good. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Corinthians. Well, let's take a look at this book. This is a little history. We like to give you a little backdrop, and it's important, especially in this book as you proceed through it. Uh, First of all, Paul founded the church in Corinth around 51 AD, okay? And it was on his second missionary journey is when he founded it. You can go to the book of Acts, chapter 18, and find the information there. So Paul is the one who founded this church. And uh, 1 Corinthians, the book that we're reading, was written around 55 A.D., so about three to four years after he founded the church, usually considered closer to three. Uh, He wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus during his third missionary journey. All right? What a lot of people don't know is this is not the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. This is the first one that the Holy Spirit directed God's people to put in the canon. But it is not the first book that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. The first one was misunderstood. Take a look right there in 1 Corinthians is a hint that there was a letter before 1 Corinthians. I wrote, past tense, to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or uh, idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So clearly, Paul had written a letter previous to 1 Corinthians with regards to uh, some of the issues that were there. Now what about this church? We have to get our heads around the, the community of Corinth at that time to understand this letter. Uh, of all the cities in the New Testament, Corinth is the most like a modern-day American city. Okay, so when you read Corinthians, it has very similar to a large city in America. Uh, it had an estimated population of about 400,000. It was a resort city, and it was a gathering place for great Greek thinkers, people like Socrates, or if you watched Ted's Excellent Adventure, Socrates, um, Plato, and Aristotle. And uh, this city was known 
for its unrestrained sensuality and obscenity. There was a huge temple for Aphrodite there with over a thousand temple prostitutes. Um, This was a very um, typical American large city with uh, a lot of obscenity, a lot of uh, sexual freedom. And this had an impact on that local church. So we need to understand the, the, the building or the, the community there, the city of Corinth, because the world's struggles come into our doors, in our homes and in our churches. And that's what we see here is that this, had, this uh, city of Corinth had an effect on the church. And as you read through First and Second Corinthians, you can now see why he's addressing some of the things that he was addressing and also some of the attitudes of the people within the church that they maybe push things off as it's not a big deal. And Paul is saying, oh yeah, it is. Because they were getting influenced by the, the city that they were living in and the church was a part of. First uh, and Second Corinthians is a response by Paul to different issues that were related to life, Christian life, how to live the Christian life, and doctrine that was happening in the Corinthian church. Here's an outline of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Chapter 1, 1 through 9 was just an introduction. Chapter 1, verse 10 through 620, really problems reported by the house of Chloe. What it was 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 there were two uh, letters that Paul is responding to in 1 Corinthians. One was from a letter written by the house of Chloe, and the other one was actually a letter written from the Corinthian church leaders, addressing, asking him questions apparently about certain things. And so Paul is responding to both of those. And that's how it's broken down. If you look underneath uh, problems reported by the house of Chloe, divisions in the church, sexual immorality, lawsuits among brethren, and moral defilements. And then in chapter 7, verse 1 through 16, 4, problems mentioned in a letter from Corinth. What did those involve? Well, those involved marriage, divorce, and celibacy, eating food sacrificed to idols, weekly worship service issues, uh, spiritual gifts, resurrection from the dead, and a collection for the saints. And finally, 16, 5 through 24 was a concluding remarks, instructions, and benediction. So there is the outline of Corinthians. Now, the problems uh, were caused in this church by outright sin or a lack of love. You look at this list and you see things that are outright sin that he's addressing. He's uh, talking about divisions in the church and he talks specifically about sin that was happening there. Sexual immorality, moral defilements. Then you go down uh, in the second area. Most of that is just dealing with the church and things and lack of love, really. In that, in that letters to the Corinthians. So you see how it's broken down. First Corinthians seems to be, Paul is either addressing, addressing a sin issue or he's dealing with uh, some kind of lack of love within the church. And what we're going to find out today is this, that the gospel is the source of power to live a transformed life of love. The gospel is the source of power to live a transformed life of love. Well, As Paul is writing to this, it's important to know the condition of the congregation as you read this letter. And the condition of the congregation is that uh, these Christians in the Corinthian church are spiritual infants. They're babies 
who are not applying the gospel to everyday life. They're believers, but they're not living like they're believers. Take a look. Here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He's saying, I can't address you like mature Christians because you're, you're walking in the flesh, not walking in the spirit. You're infants in the Lord. I fed you with milk, not solid food, I, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, three years later, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? He's saying, you're infants, you're immature, you should be more mature. You're not. And then he goes in 1 Corinthians 6, 5, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? He's saying, I've left three, four years ago, and there's still nobody wise enough to settle a basic issue with biblical principles? So he's addressing these people as infants. And so throughout this letter, he is approaching uh, them from this perspective. Um, They should have been mature, but they're still infants because they're walking in the flesh. And as you go through this, you can see how they're walking in the flesh in areas of sin and lack of love. And what they were doing was this. The best way to describe it is they were feeding their old nature, that Adamic nature, the, the sin nature. They were, they were embracing things they shouldn't have been embracing. They were feeding that nature and they were starving their new nature, that spiritual nature that they received when they, by God's grace, received the gift of salvation in Christ alone. And so what happened was uh, they were starving this new nature. And as one man once said, once told me, he said, the dog you feed wins the fight. The dog you feed wins the fight. Well, the dog they were feeding was the old man, the old nature. And so what was happening, he was producing fruit in their lives. They were living uh, in a way that didn't honor God. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's amazing because Paul's counsel to them in this letter is basically this. Stop making excuses. Grow up. Question for you. How are you doing? These believers were three years in the Lord. And Paul was saying, you haven't grown up yet. And if you read on, it said, you should be eating meat, but you're still drinking milk. You should be teaching, but you're not even teaching. You're not doing some of these things. There's no evidence that you're growing. What about us? This is a really... A question to examine ourselves with. How are you doing? Are you maturing in your faith? What would Paul say to you? Boy, hey, this is, I I don't know. It's just a question that the Holy Spirit laid on my heart for me to examine myself. And I saw areas where I thought, boy, I still need to grow. I'm still immature in this area or that area. And so what happened was uh, I felt like, okay, let's bring this to the body as well. Ask that question of yourself because that's the question that Paul is challenging the Corinthian believers with. Paul says, grow up. Stop making excuses. It's time to be an adult in the faith. And he gives us then a key to maturing. 
I love this. It's just this, this wonderful little jewel hidden in the midst of 1 Corinthians among many jewels. But he's got this key to mature, and he says, you know what? Here's the key. It's Holy Spirit-empowered self-control, discipline, is what he's laying out. That's the key. You want to mature, you want to grow in your faith, then you have to have self-control. You have to have discipline in your life. And when I say discipline, I don't mean spanking. I mean, okay, I'm going to get up this morning, and this is what I'm going to do. This is the schedule that I have. This is how I'm going to approach things. Take a look. Here is the God's Word, 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. One of the most famous sections of Scripture. He just talks about everybody who runs, runs for the prize, and he's talking about the wreath, and we, we don't have a, a, we're not running for a perishable wreath, but an imperishable one. By the way, what I found out was that there were actually, outside of Corinth, about 10 miles outside of Corinth, there was uh, the, I think it was called Itamus Games. They happened every two years, and they were like the Olympics. And so it made sense that Paul is writing about this because maybe he was writing because that was happening. And whoever won these particular uh, whatever contests there were got a lifetime exemption from paying taxes or serving in the military. They got a statue made of them that was put along the road of where the games were played. And then what, but what everybody wanted was this wreath that they put on the head. That's what everybody was pursuing. So you see... Paul's taking the culture and he's writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, now, you guys understand about these games and you understand the importance of it. I mean, athletes, the greatest athletes from around the known world at that time would go to those games every two years. And so he's paralleling it. And he's saying, we've got something more that we're pursuing. And he, if you go back in this section, he's talking about how they, they dip, discipline their bodies, they do all these things to compete And then he he moves into this section. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. In all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Again, he's talking to an immature group of believers, and he's saying, hey, we're, it, it, we have this beautiful uh, faith, and we can become, grow more like Christ. You remember last week I talked about you have the opportunity for a transformed life. doesn't mean we're all going to pursue that. He's challenging them right here. You need to pursue a transformed life because of the, the beauty in it. It's imperishable. And so he's laying this out, and he's saying, here we go. What does this word self-control here mean? It means exercise self-restraint, strength within. That's what it's talking about. It's the idea of mastering oneself instead of giving in to impulse or overindulgence. Isn't that really what happens when we sin? We just give in. It's usually an impulse, usually a, a sudden, here we go. And, he's, and, and this very word that's used here is saying, no, you're, in tra- it, it, you're like an athlete in training. Take these things seriously. I, I love Paul's counsel. We don't like to hear it a lot. You know, Paul is pretty frank with this group of immature infant believers. He's pretty frank. You know what his counsel to them is with regards to 
uh, self-control and having discipline in your life? The best way I can describe it is this way. He says to him, hey, stop sinning. That's what he tells him. He says, stop sinning. Stop. Stop. You're immature. You're, you're moving by your impulses. You're, you're, you're not thinking this through. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Because the gospel, the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the resurrection powers he talks about at the end of 1 Corinthians, that dwells within you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You do not have to live in sin. The power of sin has been broken over you by the cross. You do not have to walk in sin. You can be holy. You can pursue that imperishable crown because of who dwells within you. So stop sinning. You say, well, where does he say that? All over. Here's just a few examples. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.1. It's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? You could see the culture of the Corinthian church or the Corinthian city bleeding into the church there. Well, this is acceptable. I can just hear people. Well, it's acceptable within our society. Shouldn't it be acceptable in the church? We can think of issues like that now happening in the world all around us. Well, it's acceptable in the society. People are saying it's okay, and I mean, who are we to judge? Aren't we supposed to love everyone? Here Paul is saying, what are you doing? He's going so far as to say, even the pagans don't do this. And you're looking the other way, acting like it's no big deal? Stop. You should be mourning. Not accepting this because that's what society around us is doing. Verse 11 in chapter 5. I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler not even to eat with such a one. He's saying, you ought not be doing this. Now he's talking about people that are, are, are unrepentant and not resisting these areas of sin. They just accept them. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. He's saying, you shouldn't even eat with them. You shouldn't do that. Take sin seriously. Don't look the other way is what he's saying. You should be mourning over these situations. And 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. That's pretty simple. 10.7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. He's making it simple for him. Do not go on sinning. And then finally, in chapter 15, 57 through 58. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He calls them not to sin, and he says, and thanks be to Jesus Christ because he gives you the ability not to sin. The power of sin has been broken over you. Thanks be to God. 
So he doesn't just give them a command saying stop sinning, but he says here's why you can walk in holiness, why you can have a transformed life because of Christ in you. He is our hope. He is our strength. And so he lays this out. He's calling these immature Christians to holiness is what he's doing. And he's saying you've got to just, first of all, hey, listen, stop making excuses for your immaturity. There's, there, you have hope. The key to growing up is self-control. And now stop sinning. And he's moving on. He's, he's continuing to do this. Now, what we see is that he's calling them to holiness and to live by certain principles. He's, he's saying, okay, there's right and there's wrong. There's black and there's white where the scripture lays it out. But he's calling them to live by principles as well. Principles that involve agape love in two specific areas. When it comes to exercising your liberties, not sin necessarily in itself, and he's calling them to exercise love in the use of the gifts. He's saying these are two areas that you need to grow up in here. You need to use love when you're using your spiritual gifts and when you are exercising your liberty. And here's why. Because weak, immature Christians want a list of do's and don'ts. That's what they want. Just tell me what to do. They, is this right? Is this wrong? And then they categorize everything in right or wrong. And then they, they judge their own spirituality and other spiritualities on their lists of do's and don'ts. And so what happens is, as Paul is saying, it's not just the things that are clear in the Scripture that are sin. What's happening is there's differences among you people in different areas and you're ca- it's causing divisions in your body. And he, he said these, these things are causing divisions. They're causing sin. They are not sin of, in and of themselves, but they're causing sin because of the way that you are exercising these things. And he says that, you know what, mature Christians... Know the scripture that says, here's God's commands. Do this, don't do this. They know that, but they also have something else. They also understand principles that guide a Christian in their day-to-day life. And Paul's challenging them in that. He's saying, yeah, you, it's easy. the do's and the don'ts, I get that. Just stop sinning. But this other part here where things are, are not... Uh, as, as black and white as you want them to be. There's principles that we apply to these truths and they need to be exercised in love. And the first one is the law of liberty that Paul addresses here in 1 Corinthians. If it is not sinful in itself, then you are free to enjoy it if you can do it with a clear conscience. That's what he says. Again, we'll go to God's word. 1 Corinthians 6.12 All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Very important. Chapter 10, verse 23b All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Corinthians 8, verse 9 Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Laying out principles throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 22 through 23. To the weak I became weak, 
that I might win the week. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And finally, Galatians 5:13 through 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers. So important to hear that. Some people are so bound up as believers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Be careful. But through love, serve one another. There's the principle. The overarching principle that Paul is talking to these Corinthian believers. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what, a, what about these areas of liberty? What would we classify as that? Some of you might cringe at some of the statements I'm going to make. What about tattoos? What about having a cigar? What about playing video games? Or homeschooling or public schooling? Or having a sip of whiskey? Oh, what? We're not talking about being drunk. What about it? What about these things? I want to say this, make sure everybody understands. Thinking something is right does not make it right. In other words, lying and adultery. I've heard people say, well, I, when it comes to adultery, they'll say, well, I didn't feel like I was originally even called to marry that person. Or I'm not in love with them. So then that excuses my, your adultery? So we thinking something is right does not make it right. But thinking something ro- is wrong makes it wrong for you. For you. I mentioned these things, and I have a personal conviction. Drinking. I can't do it. For me, it's wrong. It's wrong. Okay? So I don't have any problem when people that I know and love ha- want to have a sip of whiskey. So I, I can't even believe I'm hearing this from Pastor Dan. Yes, you are. Okay? Because it's an issue of, listen, this is my conviction. It is wrong for me. Because it is in this area of, of, of liberty for others, but it isn't for me. So for me, it would be sin. Because that's where my heart is at with it. So then the general rule is when in doubt, don't do it. When in doubt, don't do it. And I will say this. Paul is laying out, he says, you have liberties, but listen, it's beyond whether it's just right or wrong. And this is where I think people with liberties have to be careful. First of all, make sure your convictions are thought through in prayer. This, I'm comfortable with this. Make sure you're, you, you, you're, it truly is your conviction whether to do or not to do. But what we have to do is we have to be careful with these convictions or these freedoms that we have. And we has, have to ask ourselves a question. Quite a while ago, I, wrote, uh, I, I preached on a message, and it was entitled, Wings or Weight? In other words, now, what are you are doing, do they give you wings in your face? Does it help you to soar? Or is it a weight? Is it a burden? Does it bring you down? Does it weigh down your walk with Jesus? Wings or weight? Examine your 
your convictions and the freedoms that you have. I, I can share one of them that I, a couple of them that I struggled with, fantasy football. There's absolutely nothing wrong with fantasy football. But Dan knows Dan. I played fantasy football or got involved in a fantasy football league for one year, and it absolutely consumed me. Right? I'm watching like seven games every time I could get a game, and I'm yeah, freaking out because that was before they had all everything automated, right? Where now you just boom, and you go, oh, yeah, I got this many points in this game. Back then you had to do it all yourself. So I'm watching all these games, and I'm doing all this stuff. You know what? What was happening was it was consuming me. It was becoming, uh, I was being dominated by it. So I said, I can't do this anymore. I have no problem with people doing uh, fantasy football. I can't do it because I was being dominated by it. It wasn't helping me. And then what happens? My team, oh, I lost. Are you kidding me? I missed it. You know know where I'm coming from. So be careful with your liberties. Make sure they are not enslaving you. You don't become dependent upon them. And, you know, we were set free not to be go right back into slavery is what Scripture says. True freedom is not to do what you want to do, but the power to do what you know pleases God. You see, that's what it's about. It's not about the freedom to do what I want to do, but the power to do what pleases God. And that's where this second law comes in that Paul is addressing. It's the law of love. So you've got the law of liberty and you've got the law of love. And he says, now here we go. What about this law of love? The law of love is that you have freedom to do what your heart does not convict you of as sin, but you won't do it at certain times because because there are weak people. I'm using that term not to put anybody down, but that's a scriptural term. There are weak people who do not have that same conviction. But what will happen is this. Please listen. They will live by your conviction instead of theirs. This is where it gets muddy because what happens is somebody who is a weak Christian will try to put their convictions on someone else because they have a problem with that in that area. And what happens then is that they say, you have to do that because as a strong Christian, you have to stop doing that. Well, maybe in their presence, yes. Yes, you're going to honor them, you're going to respect them, but you don't have to cut it out completely. You have freedom in that area. And the weaker person wants to put that on you and say, you have to do this. And then they have their categories. And you're not a strong Christian because you smoke a cigar or you do, you have a tattoo or you have this or that. And what happens is, is that they, they categorize. But you have to understand what Scripture is saying here is that your, your action is causing them to stop walking in the conviction they have and start doing, following your conviction. That's the stumbling Paul's talking about. And we like to expand it beyond that. We like to expand it beyond that. We need to set aside our rights when it is appropriate so that we would avoid offending or hurting a weaker brother. I have no problem with secular music. There are certain songs I can't listen to because I don't, I can't. They're they're wrong. I have a conviction against certain songs. I don't have a a conviction against listening to, say, Boston or other secular bands. But I have brothers and sisters I know that I love that do have that conviction. So if I'm in my garage 
working on a car and jamming out the things, and they come, I'll shut it off. Why? Because I, want, I love them. I want to honor their conviction. Now, if they come up and say, I heard you were listening to Boston when I pulled up, you know that's sin. You can't be listening to any you know, secular music. I'd say to them, well, I know that's your conviction. It's not mine, and I want to honor you, so I turn it off. But when you leave, I'm turning Boston back on, dude. That's that freedom, but the balance with love. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, you guys, you're living. You don't care about the other person. You're just living your freedoms, and you don't care if it causes brothers or sisters to stumble. But you have to handle your liberties in a godly way, in a loving way. That's what he is speaking about here. And I said appropriate because there's times when we need to just pull back on those freedoms. We need to say, is this appropriate or not? Because when you love someone, generally you put their needs above your own, don't you? Fathers, you know, uh, you're the guy who, um, you know, you, you go out and you, you make food, you put it on the table, and you just can't stand to see food wasted, right? So you're the guy eating the scraps after everybody else has eaten the good stuff, the, the, the fresh meal maybe. You know, that's, that's what you're used to doing. Because you love people. You put them ahead of yourselves. And we need to do that not just with our families, but with our body and brothers and sisters in Christ. We put their needs above our own. That's what Jesus is calling us to through this, God, through this epistle in 1 Corinthians. And the best way I can sum it up is this. In the essentials of the gospel, unity. We don't budge on what the gospel says is the gospel. In non-essentials, liberty. Liberty. I can say to my brother and sister who have freedom, I love you. Thank you for honoring my convictions. And they can say the same thing back. Non-essentials, liberty. But in everything, love. In everything, love. That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to love. That's what what Paul is calling these immature Christians to to love to love each other even all the all the crazy 100 different things that they thought were okay and didn't think were okay and we're going to get in this group and we're going to have our cigar smoking group over here and we're going to have our people over here who have tattoos and you know and and never shall the two cross or whatever it is and it's just foolishness it was dividing the church saying yeah you know what I struggle with that but okay we're all good but you see love Loving others goes beyond just not exercising your liberties when you know a brother or sister has a conviction opposite yours. It goes beyond that. It goes into the use of our gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given us to humbly serve others. He says it's not just what you don't do, it's what you do do. And use those gifts that God has given you, the spiritual gifts, to be a blessing to others, to serve others. That's what he's talking about. Because we have a diverse body of individual members that come together in one body. Here it's called the Crescent Evangelical Free Church. We're unified, but we're not uniform. So is the body of Christ, right? Unified, but not uniform. Unified under the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're doing that for his glory and that we might build each other up.
to be one body. Take a look, God's word. So it's interesting how this all builds. He talks about the spiritual gifts and the things that were dividing the church. And he's saying, hey, you know what? We, just so you know, we in this church believe that all the gifts are for today. All the gifts. Okay? That includes things like speaking in tongues and miracles and stuff like that. We believe all the gifts are still here today. In many ways, they have not been handled biblically, but we believe those are all still gifts for today. And so he goes from this, this discussion on the gifts that, were using, that, that the enemy was using to divide the church, and he goes into the, one of the greatest sections of Scripture most people. He talks about the body, the physical body, that we're one body. And it's springboarding right off after the gifts. Take a look. First uh, Corinthians 12:7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what purpose? For the common good. It's for the body. We need each other. And then he goes into the all, you know, if everybody was an ear, everybody was a foot. You can go read it. Verses 11 through 12. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with the spiritual gifts. We're all different. Some of us have teaching gifts. Some of us have serving gifts. Musicians are serving us by, by using their gifts. Tech people are serving us. They're using their gifts. He's saying we're one body. We have different gifts. God made it that way. God made us in a way that he would put us together in a body and use that to glorify his name. And it goes on in 22 through 27. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. He's saying, why are you fighting about who's got this gift and who's got that gift and who can do this and who can do that? And then we end up doing this in churches. We exalt one gift above the other. Oh, this is so-and-so. He's a fill it in. And it's almost like the person who's got the gift of serving is like at the bottom of the heap, right? And it's everybody else is like, wow, everybody's bragging about all these other gifts. And, he's, and, and what Paul is saying is, no, 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 we're this diverse body. and we're, we, God has made us this way so that his name would be glorified. And yeah, some gifts are more apparent than others. But when one suffers, we all suffer. That's what he's talking about here. And again, who is this written to? A church of immature believers that are allowing these things to divide them. Unity and love in diversity is only possible because we are in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. And, and it is empowered by the Spirit of God who dwells within believers. That's how it can happen. That's how a weird group of strangely different people like us in this very room can get together and really love one another. Because we're really different. We're really odd when you think about it. You know? And you think of all the differences in this room alone. And yet we can love each other. And if something happened, we'd, all, we'd rally to you. Doesn't matter if you had a tattoo or you didn't have a tattoo or you blah, blah, blah. Right? The gospel is the source of power to live transformed life of love. Jesus empowers it. He makes it possible. And there's a reason. 
Because love that is exercised in the use of our liberty and in the use of our gifts shows a broken world around us what true Christian love looks like. And that brings glory to God. That brings glory to God. Take a look at God's Word again. Corinthians 10.31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's why we do it. Why would we acquiesce with the freedom we have for a weaker brother? For the glory of God. Why would we use our gifts in the body of Christ and not brag about our gifts and put others down? For the glory of Christ. Why would we want to be a body that loves each other? For the glory of God. It's, it's about Him. And then in John 13, 34-35, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also shall love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have Bible studies, if you say you're a Christian, if you go to church every Sunday, how will the world know? If you have love for one another. He says it's pretty simple. Do you love one another? You see, genuine Christian love testifies to the power of the gospel and is a proof that Jesus can transform messed up lives just like ours. I include everyone in here. And he can bring peace within people like us and between people like us. That's what it does. And you see, when the world sees love in the family of God, here's what will happen. They'll be drawn to him. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want as a church and as a person? That God would be glorified and that our joy would be complete because of that. Let's pray.